Hey everybody, it's the Whamcast. It's the Washington Academy of Music podcast. I'm Tim. And I'm Rick. And today we're going to be sitting down with Claire Marshall. Now, Claire Marshall is a piano teacher and more importantly, a, an examiner for the Royal Conservatory of Music, which is mm-hmm. one of the programs that we use here. And she travels around uh, probably two, maybe three times a year um, and does exams at different centers like the, the center here at Silverdale. So we're really happy to have her come in and talk about music, music teaching, the RCM program. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some wonderful stuff in this interview. Yeah. Well, let's not let's wait around anymore. It. Let's go to it. Let's go to it. Okay, we are here with uh, Claire Marshall, an esteemed instructor of piano, uh, also a, a, a Royal Conservatory of Music examiner, which is extra special. And uh, Claire, we're, go- we're glad to have you join us. Thank you so much yeah. for the opportunity yeah. to be here today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drove all the way over from Bainbridge. Yes, the commute was just right. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Well, you must have hit it just right. Yeah. It's funny. I think I told you before that, you know, you do hold exams in your studio also like we do. Yes. And that we've had people that have had to go to your studio for an exam and they just don't want to cross that bridge. Oh, that's funny. You need to tell them that the examiners come from as far away as Toronto and Calgary and San Francisco. So that um, theirs is... Small change. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's, not, it's just not that inconvenient. And Bainbridge is a beautiful place anyway. It, Where's your house? You don't have to give is, the address, but where it's, is it? It's centrally located mm-hmm. on the island. So okay. it's about five minutes from downtown Winslow. So okay. the people who travel to Bainbridge can get a nice bite to eat or something yeah. before they go home. Good. good. Okay. Good. good. Well, you know, um, if you would mind giving us a, a little discussion about your background. All right. Um, I studied, I have sort of a zigzag path that took me to teaching piano and examining piano. I actually studied psychology when I was at McGill University and did a diploma in music at the same time. Um, I was not my best musical student at that point, and I think there were other distractions in life, but I was certainly exposed to some very fine teachers. And um, after graduating, I spent a year at the Gazelle Institute of Child Development in New Haven, Connecticut, um, where one of the things I did was learn to test children for school readiness and work on developmental ages and stages and basically learn to observe people, observe Mm -hmm. children, which Mm -hmm. fit my personality very well because when I was a child, my mother was always scolding me for staring at people. Uh-huh. Now I now I get paid to do. I'm it. getting that feeling <laughs> now. <laughs> um, after that, I got married and moved to South Dakota, and wondered what on earth I was going to do. 
Um, I was lucky to be asked to teach child development in their extension department. I didn't have my piano from home with me, so I wandered into the local piano store and said, could I practice here? Fellow said, certainly. And he quickly talked me into um, renting a piano to own. And he said, do you realize that if you had just four students, you could pay the rental on a piano for a month? And that was back in the day when a half hour of music lessons cost $2.50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was the start of teaching. Mm. And through that, I um, ran into a woman who was at Ellsworth Air Force Base, which is adjacent mm-hmm. to Rapid City, and she was a clinician for the Robert Pace Method, which started in New York City with a, a professor at City College. And that was very good experience, so I continued to teach privately and to learn. Uh, we moved to Columbus, Ohio, where I directed a preschool for a few years, and at that point tested children for school readiness, so got more experience staring at people and <laughs> writing about it. <laughs> um, and fast forward a little bit, and I opened a private studio on Bainbridge Island in 1979, um, went through the hoops for national certification and state certification, had some wonderful private teachers um, continuing my musical studies that I'd had at McGill in theory and composition and in um, playing and analysis, and uh, just basically spent my 30s and 40s and 50s and even my 60s studying privately with some wonderful teachers in the state, with Terry Moore, who was at the University of Washington, Mm -hmm. and most influentially with Jeffrey Gilliam at Western Washington. Mm. And um, ultimately, with his help, I took uh, took the piano exam for ARCT diploma. Mm -hmm. So being a teacher also involves connecting with what it is to be a student. So I did right. my part being a student for a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah, that's, that's just so true. So You, you had mentioned um, when you were getting your diploma for music mm-hmm. that you, you said that you maybe weren't the best music student, um, but you had lots of really great uh, people around you, like, like teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So do you find that... Because if any of my students who maybe aren't the best students listening, do you find that you still can think back and take away great things, maybe even if you weren't the best student at the time in music oh, from ab- your teachers? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think the best story is actually with a theory teacher I had before I was at McGill when I was mm-hmm. still... Um, well, I, when I started out taking theory, I was like every other theory student. I was not a great student. <laughs> and I joined the class late in the quarter. I think mm. I was 13 years old. And the class was full of smarty-pants students who knew all the answers. Mm. The teacher was, she was wonderful, but at the time I just thought she was an old battle axe. <laughs> and <laughs> she, I will never forget the day she 
called me up to the blackboard and said, write the scale of C harmonic minor. And I went, oh, no, <laughs> I have no idea how to do this. What am I going uh -huh. to do? So she provided the rules. I did not want to feel like that ever again. So um, mm -hmm. I followed her rules, and I got 100% on both the theory exams I took. There you so go. Perfect. So I tell that story to my students, and I said, you have no idea how much theory is going to help you. It's really... Yeah. It, it's going to help you memorize. It's integrating everything you're doing, your technique and your pieces, and you can figure out your pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, if you like math at all, it's really fun. It's sort of an easy kind of math. Yep. And yeah. I tell them how I used to hate theory and how I turned around. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think it's helped some of them yeah. to turn around. Yeah. I was the same way with theory for a long time in like... Especially because I had a, a rock music background originally, and mm -hmm. then I got into composition later, so I didn't know any theory. And um, discovering that, you know, it, it seems like it's this rigid set of rules, and a lot of people kind of, and, and I would get panicky about it, like, oh, God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to limit me, um, artistic, blah, blah, Don't blah. Don't squash my creativity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And That's right. you actually, you know, turns out, once you can look at something and think, this actually is technically wrong, but I know that, and I know that I can kind of go out of that box a little bit, because you know where the box is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, it seems like it's a pretty common thread with a lot of theory students. Like, you get scared of theory pretty pretty easily. That's, pretty easily. Uh, yeah. Well, I think, I think there's a way around it. I work very hard with students even when they're not much more than a beginner mm -hmm. to give them the seeds of theory right at the keyboard so theory is not something that you do monday night at the kitchen table and piano is what you do on thursday afternoon with claire right theory is what you do at your piano lesson even though you perhaps don't realize it mm -hmm. it connects with uh with the technical exercises that are being done, you point out how particular, can you find this chord in your piece? What is this particular pattern? And fast forward to RCM materials, the theory books, which they themselves produced in the last three years, mm -hmm. are full of wonderful examples of the repertoire and encourage the students to find find motives, to find where phrases begin and end, to find particular intervals, to find particular chords. Yeah, yeah. And and to relate the listening and the the physical experience of the music with with the grammar and what's written down on the page. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it helps you absorb music in the... Yeah, in, in a, a, in a, a more way. comprehensive yeah. fashion. Yes, exactly. The thing about the piano, though, as opposed to my instrument, guitar, is it's so visual it is it's right there in front of you you know and the guitar is actually like six pianos side by side and you're working across it's really it's all it's really hard it's really easy to ignore the theory part when you're so immersed in just trying to do what you have to do you know yes not to yeah. mention all the different types of finger strokes and mm -hmm. yeah. it's difficult i think on the guitar to produce volume Mm -hmm. It is. They're yeah, very difficult. 
You're right. There, you have an awful lot. You have more steps to conquer in some ways than a pianist does. But it's lighter. <laughs> it's definitely more portable. You have your own instrument with you. Yes. So an interesting thing, you know, like with, with Tim and myself, uh, probably a lot of a lot of teachers. You know, you have the students who aren't the best students, maybe, you know, as you mentioned for yourself. But I mean, some students will probably never may may never be good students. Uh, and as a psychology major, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, what is it, you know, that you, that you, well, even with your good students, what do you, how can you help them in regard to a life well lived? You know, what's the single most important thing as a music teacher, you think, or, or things that you can say to help, help people that need help? <laughs> well, um, I think the, the main thing is a teacher is a little bit, maybe a little bit daunting for a beginning child. So maybe we can treat these as two separate categories, mm -hmm. goals that you would have for any student as they start and the philosophy of teaching. But what do I hope people will take away from this, uh, particularly when I have the luxury of knowing them for several years, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unlike a school teacher that says farewell at the end of nine months. Right. Um, is that going through the portal of self-discipline, you get to enable, you get to experience, I think, heightened senses, um, visually, physically, um, cerebrally, and certainly emotionally. And you feel, you can get to a point when you've learned a piece very well, or when you're, when you're in the process of learning it, where you realize how your whole being is experiencing the music and experiencing the process of learning the music. Mm -hmm. And it's very exciting. And I think that that, um, I think that deepens your human understanding. Mm -hmm. um, you have to do a lot of prodding to get a lot of people through the portal of self-discipline. So That's <laughs> you true. You have to yeah. make it... Um, I think you have to master, or you have to attempt the art of being an iron hand in a velvet glove. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, there has to be fun in it. Um, I try to make sure that there's some laughter at every single lesson. Mm -hmm. You have to really make sure that the student, whether they are a beginning student or a more advanced student, understands what you are saying. And that means you have to keep changing your metaphors until you find mm -hmm. one that f that fits the student's mm -hmm. own experience so they really understand what you're getting at. Absolutely. And yeah. you have to repeat yourself over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Children can learn a habit very quickly and they forget it just as fast. They do. So it, it takes a long time un until this understanding, I think, is part of the fabric of their of their mm -hmm. minds yeah and hopefully they they learn uh what it is to try to achieve excellence that's yes mm -hmm. um and it's not just learning to achieve excellence i'm sure that you also in your teaching have students who are very bright and very quick school comes very easily and they just do not want to dirty their hands with work mm -hmm. yes and <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. And you are the lucky soul that is teaching them how to roll up their sleeves and work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that uh, that is a process. It takes a lot of encouragement. Yeah. It takes some setting of boundaries. Mm-hmm. It takes some look ahead to the future. Right. Yeah. Do it's, you? Uh, it's difficult to learn how to enjoy being bad at something. You know, like because you, if you if you can learn to look ahead and be like, well, in six months, this is going. I'm I'm going to look back at this and be like, man, that was so hard. But now look now now look where I am. Yes. But it's very hard to like. Especially, you know, kids, because the kids are so in the moment. In, in the moment. Yeah. Impatient. And so it's, it's, it's yeah. hard to get them to, to see, like, you know, well, you know, this is, this is the best time right now when you're bad at this because it's so rewarding <laughs> when, when well, you get better. And I think it's really important that you celebrate every, every little step that they accomplish mm-hmm. because <clears throat> maybe we shouldn't broadcast this, but music lessons are not always easy, and <laughs> uh, and you have to break things down and explain. I know in school you get the answer after the first time or perhaps the second time, but you know what? When you're studying music, sometimes it's going to take ten times or even longer mm-hmm. until you can do it, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It means that that's music. That. Learning uh-huh. this is involving your eyes and your ears and your fingers and your brain, which is coordinating the whole lot. So yeah. we've got to try a few times. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's where there is a huge privilege for the teacher because you can help, um, help the child over a lot of little hurdles and mm-hmm. their sense of confidence and of self-worth and quite honestly boosting their mental health results mm-hmm. yeah. from these these little tiny moments of, wow, that was hard and I can do it. Oh, I didn't think I would be able to memorize all this, these pieces mm-hmm. for my exam, and I did. Mm-hmm. These ear tests are so hard, I can't get the clapbacks. Oh, but now I'm doing it. So it's uh, there are just so many moments of, um, of achievement, and it's the little moments of achievement that just keep piling up one on mm-hmm. top of another and mm-hmm. result in accomplishment, and all of a sudden they've been they've been working hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The I think the the worst part about music is that, um, well, it's so easy to listen to, and it's and when you watch someone playing music, it it looks incredibly easy. <laughs> so when you sit down to do it, you find out, oh well, no, it's not at all. So. That's that realization. I've said, I've had a lot of kids that come in and they sit down. And they want to learn guitar because they thought guitar looked easy. And <laughs> as soon as we play a scale, it's, there's kind of this little realization on their and face. The face oh, drops. No. <laughs> what did <laughs> yeah. I get myself yeah, in for? Exactly. You know, there's a wonderful TED talk that's available online that I show to just about every single student. It's mm-hmm. uh, produced by Anita Collins, and it's called. How practicing a musical instrument benefits your brain, mm. oh. and there are very clever little cartoons in in the short five minute version. And she starts out by saying, "When you listen to a piece of music, 
there's a party going on inside your head, <laughs> and it shows all these little neurons and dendrites dancing along. And they go on and on, but when you are actually playing a musical instrument, then the fireworks are really going off. Yeah. And they take time to show how um, there is an advancement that happens in music that really doesn't happen in anything else, mm -hmm. where there's an improvement in executive function, mm -hmm. where the two hemispheres of the brain become mm -hmm. better interconnected, and basically, you are smarter because you are practicing yeah. your instrument. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it's very, it's concise and well done, and okay, yeah, it's yeah. it's a help. So I will pull that out when there is um, a moment of stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for the parents too. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. You I know, think they, I, I, there were years. It was years before I set. Well, I woke up one day and went, you know, why is it that I, I can do something better the next day than I did the day could the day before, you know, and actually sat down and 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 did a little bit of research on it, you know, and realized, oh, you know, you're building up myelin in your brain, and it, you know, it's just so amazing, mm -hmm. and and it, I think it actually is a lot different with a musical instrument or maybe with a sport, you know, where you're learning how to bat a ball yes. or whatever. It's, it's the motion you have to you have to master to yes. get better at and it's yeah but it's all connected and I think probably there is certainly more with music because you're you've got the emotion built into it and there's just so much there know, is yeah. so much yeah, and there there is, so there is the the listening um, when you attempt to help children to practice uh, the first thing is they need to know they're expected to spend a little time with their instrument between lessons. They don't <laughs> just come and have a little party with you. <laughs> yep. And then, oh, my goodness, I have to do this more than once. Right. Mm -hmm. As you move along and you can program certain repetitions of X, Y, and Z, I think it's very important that they know that they go home and they think when they practice and they are aware when they mm -hmm. practice and they listen when they practice. You don't, don't just go home and plug in the do socket, mm -hmm. park your brain somewhere mm -hmm. else. And yeah. when the clock says your time is up, you're right. done with practicing. Totally. So it's, I think one of the parts in teaching is it's critical is, um, instructing what it is to practice, how to practice how to practice and and just being conscious of what you're doing mm -hmm. be aware of what you're trying to do don't just move your fingers mm -hmm. do you encourage slow practice oh yes yeah we mm -hmm. certainly do on classical yes. guitar that's for sure slow practice um slower the better in a lot of mm -hmm. respects mm -hmm. sometimes yeah. i'll set the metronome extremely slowly when children are memorizing in order to break the muscle memory, because mm -hmm. if it's very slow, they don't have muscle memory anymore, and they have mm -hmm. <laughs> to know what's going on. Right. You know, one of the things that really interests me is what draws children to want to do piano. Why mm -hmm. do they want to start? And so I think back all the time to my own childhood, because I think when you were dealing with young people, Yes, you obviously come from the perspective of somebody who's older, somebody who can give advice and all the rest of it. But you need to connect with what it feels like to be 
five and six and what it feels mm-hmm. like to be 10 mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, and I, I was so fortunate as a child. I had parents who were well-trained amateur musicians, so they had a huge love of classical music. Mm. I grew up in Canada, so CBC radio was on all the time. Mm-hmm. They had a wonderful collection of records. I can remember when the records actually were... Um, they weren't LPs. It was whatever, 78s. 78s. Before Long Playing Records came. And birthday and Christmas presents often were Sleeping Beauty or Swan Lake or mm-hmm. Prokofiev, uh, Chopin. I remember getting a box of, a Vox box of Guimar Dovais playing Chopin etudes, waltzes, mazurkas, preludes, and just just about wearing the records out. And you love it. Yeah. You love the music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When I was, I was also very lucky to grow up in a city that, that was very rich in culture. And I think I was just five years old when my parents started taking me to a series of concerts that the Montreal Symphony Orchestra had. And they, they were referred to as Young People's Concerts. Mm-hmm. And it was a series of eight concerts that started perhaps in September and went through till May. And... Wilfred Peltier was the conductor. He gave wonderful explanations Mm -hmm. before each piece. He was sort of the Leonard Bernstein of his time, Mm -hmm. shortly before the Joy of Music's concert started Mm -hmm. in New York City. And he frequently had young performers Mm. who would be soloists with the orchestra. And I think that was what really grabbed me. I can remember I was about eight years old, and there was a little girl who was 11, and she played Bach's D minor concerto with the Montreal Symphony Orchestra in, their high, in the high school auditorium of Montreal High School. <laughs> and I was hooked. It, really? I just yeah. went, wow. Imagine doing that with your fingers. And the sound, I already loved music, and mm-hmm. the sound was just was so glorious. Mm. But I wasn't 10 until we got a piano and I started lessons. Luckily... My parents didn't look for the teacher who was the cheapest or the teacher who was the most convenient to get to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I grew up in Canada. I did not grow up doing the Royal Conservatory examinations, although I certainly had lots of friends who did. But we, my father was a professor at McGill University, so they knew people at the McGill Conservatory of Music where there was a preparatory school. Mm-hmm. And that was where I had a teacher. I had a very fine teacher, as did my sister. That's where I took those infamous theory lessons with Mrs. Postner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, was, it, was, it was just a very fortuitous environment mm-hmm. that, that certainly nurtured my love of music and gave me ample opportunity mm-hmm. wow. to be trained. Yeah. And then much later, living in the U.S., looking for music that was appropriate for students, looking for some decent books. I kept coming across the Royal Conservatory books and saying, now this is this is quality stuff. This what is, year was that, do you recall? Oh, I started using those when I opened my studio here in 1979. I think I, oh. I, think I ran across it maybe in 84, mm-hmm. 85, mm-hmm. or 86 even. Um, but mm-hmm. there wasn't anything they remotely didn't. like that for classical guitar. I mean, it was when I... Found it. It was wonderful, you know, just wonderful. 
It really is mm-hmm. amazing what it what they have done. It's um, I th- am very very pleased that the program is spreading spreading so much in the U.S. In Canada, those exams have been around for close to 130 years, mm-hmm. and it's a cultural norm. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. knows about it. Um, and there, there are funny little instances. I've been on the telephone with Canada Revenue about my revenue from being an examiner in Canada. I pay tax to the Canadian government. So when I have a question, the person on the other end of the phone will say, I'll have you know I have my grade 10 in piano. (laughs) (laughs) I have crossed the border. Where are you going, ma'am? Well, I'm going to examine piano for the Royal Conservatory. Where are you going? Well, I said I was going to Langley. No, where in Langley are they holding the examinations? (laughs) They are very, they're just curious about it. Or another time the border agent said, oh, Oh. I wish I'd followed my mother's advice (laughs) and got my grade (laughs) 8. I stopped at grade 7. So it's just, it's, just pervasive, mm-hmm. and and it shows. I mean, the they there is a statistic I heard quoted uh, several years ago at a music teachers conference that the average length of time a kid in America in the U.S. studies a musical instrument is eighteen months, whereas the average length of time a kid in Canada studies their musical instrument is six years, wow. and that's a huge difference. Yeah. And personally, I think that difference is because the Royal Conservatory, which is what so many teachers in Canada use, encourages musical literacy, which is so important, Mm -hmm. and and ear training and rhythmic ability. And I think the reason so many students stop taking lessons is that they are... whatever country they live in, um, but maybe referring to the 18-month dropouts, they're frustrated trying to play an instrument. They, they're not getting proper instruction mm-hmm. in, in how to read, and they're, they're not being subtly pushed and mm-hmm. given the right information. Yeah. And they, they want to be able to to produce something at the piano, and they know they can play Happy Birthday by Ear or Mary Had a Little Lamb or something like that, but they're not getting enough help in how to get from point A to point B. They might be getting too much of the what to do, but not the how to not do the, it. Not the how-to and not the experience. And the honest truth is I think you have to push pretty hard to gain fluency in reading. It doesn't... It doesn't happen easily. It takes an awful lot of um, nipping at the kids' heels. They have to know their notes. It takes constant drill on note recognition and on reading, looking ahead, looking between the notes so Mm. that you see the interval, counting out loud. I know that you don't want to count out loud, but that's what musicians do. Mm -hmm. And I probably have produced more tears at the piano by insisting on counting than anything else hmm. yeah and uh, th- it's not from yelling it's just from the frustration it's just it's trying to do it tough to do yeah. mm-hmm. but s- i mean at the same time speaking about <sighs> philosophy of teaching and how do you how do you start with a child um there there is a lot of not very good material out there 
-hmm. Nobody wants to, it's like you said, when you start, you want to, you can, you want to be where you want to be in six months time and you want that to be somewhere fabulous. Yeah. You don't want to still be playing my dog has fleas, which is a generic term my husband derived for all the pablum from the musical underworld that poor kids are given to start out mm -hmm. piano lessons with. Uh -huh. uh, so there, you, you have to pace the learning to the individual because children learn in so many different ways and uh -huh. at so many different rates. But at the same time, you need to give them the tools to be able to count and to be able to have some independence to be able to read. And, and you want this to happen as fast as possible so they feel some sense of accomplishment and some sense of, I can do this. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, th I don't know how it is with guitar, how often you accompany students, but I think that that's one of the best gifts when children are starting out is having the teacher play duets with them because all of a sudden they sound much grander and mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. much bigger uh much fuller yeah. i mean it's a yeah it's an experience it's an it's an actual musical experience right. precisely totally. yeah. 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 yeah yeah well and then that student can um not to the full extent of an orchestra but it gives them a concept of musicians playing together you know it, yes it, it's yes, a, it, yes it is a difficult thing like you can watch an orchestra and it seems like oh yeah there's an orchestra that's what an orchestra sounds they like. all just pick up their instruments yeah, and go there it is yeah <laughs> but it's you know like people playing together is incredibly difficult and it's a it's very rewarding and it's you know giving them that concept of it is is really yes it's really good yes and, and I, it's encouraging too i think yeah, it's wonderful for them to feel the simpatico with other musicians. Mm -hmm. One of the things I will do um, is have children conduct when they're having a difficult time getting a rhythm oh. correctly. We'll work first on learning the conducting patterns for two, three, and four beats. And then, which is sometimes more difficult than you would think, and I'll have them conduct while I play their piece so they have, oh, I see how this goes, mm -hmm. and then I'll conduct them while they play. And it yeah, it helps, yeah. as does you know, theory, writing rhythms, oh, yeah. and Absolutely. understanding. Uh, but all of that is part and parcel of getting to the point where they can play music with other people or play mm -hmm. duets. Or right. mm -hmm. uh, My sister plays violin. I want to accompany her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. there are so many ways in which it, it can become part of their lives. Do you uh, have a particular daily practice regimen that you follow that you recommend? I would say that it, it varies so much. I try to write it out in detail as much as I can for students. I mean, ideally, it should include some time on scales and chords. Mm -hmm. It should include a little time sight reading and mm -hmm. doing sight rhythm. Um, I try to have it include a little bit of time singing, and that's oh. pianists are not vocal mm -hmm. students. Some of them sing easily. Some of them refuse to sing. But that is what they need to develop their inner ear. Yeah. So singing mm -hmm. is part of it, um, and some time working on repertoire. Mm -hmm. And how do you learn the repertoire? As you said, mm -hmm. going slowly hands separately, hands together, and then you add the layers of 
Now, is that a beautiful sound? <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Which, I, you know, I, there's something I found really interesting. I watched a, a pianist at the at the uh, Steinway studio mm-hmm. down down in the basement where they have all the really great... Oh, you know, the, yes. Yeah. And he went from piano to piano to piano. And, of course, they all sounded fabulous. And the one he picked was was because he, he could play so soft, so pianissimo. Mm-hmm. He was looking for that, which I had never occurred to me on a piano that that was... It's, it, I mean, it, that's such a mechanical thing. Mm-hmm. It had to be a fine-tuned mechanical issue to get a really soft note. Yes, yes. to get a soft sound, there are ways of... Pre- yes, and that that's part of the technique mm-hmm. department besides scales and chords is... How do you get the sound that you want out of the instrument? Mm. Um, which is a very broad topic. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the th- one of the things is is the actual physical approach to the instrument, and that's where I will thank Jeffrey Gilliam for the rest of my life for introducing me to Taubman technique, mm. which is a technique that was developed by a woman in New York City, Dorothy Taubman who joined up with Edna Galansky, who is still spreading the good word, and there are workshops, Galansky workshops, all over the world. Basically, the premise is uh, how, to, um, how to use your body in a coordinated, how to use the physical apparatus, really, in a coordinated fashion, to use mm-hmm. the larger, stronger muscles wow. in your arm and shoulder, which mm-hmm. are already developed, rather than a very digital Mm. approach where you strive to pick your fingers up and down and your hands are basically still. I don't know if guitarists, you are familiar with the old trick it used to be, could you practice with a penny on your hand and not let it fall off, which Mm. is very counterintuitive because Mm -hmm. things should be moving freely. You don't want your... There's got to be movement in in the joints and how the weight is introduced into the instrument can make it easier to get from one place to another. It prevents the sound from being hard and percussive and sort of edgy. Uh So Hmm. there's a whole sort of special area of technique, which is is just, you know, how are you using your your arms and your wrist and how is everything moving together? What are the connections between the elbow and the hand Mm -hmm. and the wrist? You related to the Alexander yeah. technique at all? Or? It's a, it's not specifically related to the Alexander technique, but there, it's one of many uh, sort of enlightened hmm. physical doctrines about approaching an instrument. Ale- Alexander technique is actually, I think, originated in teaching voice students mm-hmm. or even um, yeah. speech. Uh, speech. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, there are actually quite a few, Barbara Lister-Sink, who teaches in North Carolina, produced a video and a whole series called, Un- what was it, Uncaging? I wish I could remember correctly. But it was basically freeing the bird out of the cage. I mean, using, again, um, using a healthy injury preventative technique. Yeah. Her name is yep. Barbara. Barbara, Barbara Lister-Sink. Lister-Sink. Yeah. Lister-Sink. Um, so there are many approaches. Taubman, I'd say, is certainly one of the ones 
that is the most famous. And Juilliard is now an all-Taubman school because when you are mm. practicing eight and ten hours a day, mm-hmm. yeah. you do not want to end up with repetitive stress injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this this works. And the and just and the sounds that come out are just that's that's the part so. I don't get. I mean, this is way off. I mean, mm-hmm. This isn't off topic, but it's definitely off this list. But you know, I mean, I know how to make a different sound on the guitar because I, you know, I I'm physically in contact with those uh-huh. strings. I I can maneuver my hands different ways mm-hmm. to get different sounds, and I can make it darker, a brighter, mm-hmm. certainly louder, softer. But and I know how to do louder and softer on a piano, I think. Mm-hmm. But how do you get a different? Can you get a different tone? Can you get a different? Is it just a different attack? Different, yes, and I think that's where language and imagination can come into it, also. Mm. And that's where you have to. How can I reach the student? What is the adjective? What is the metaphor I can use? Um, Because you will, if you, you know, when you strike a key very vertically, you can get sort of what I call a very square sound. Really? It's, you, mm-hmm. you don't hear the sound bloom in the room, but it just sounds a bit harsh. Mm-hmm. And if you, there is more movement in the joints as you play it, instead of just direct straight down, then the, then the sound has more warmth mm-hmm. and more resonance. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it, it, it is experience, and there are gradations way beyond what I'm able to convey to students. I mean, mm-hmm. there are people who are, extraordinary at the kinds of nuance that mm. they can create in the sound of the instrument. I think one of the most wonderful examples of teaching um, and, the, and, and the use of language in teaching came from Leon Fleischer, mm. who was truly one of the most promising concert pianists in the 40s and 50s. And I can't remember exactly when it was, but he was diagnosed. He started to notice that his hand just wasn't working. His right hand wasn't working the way he wanted in performance. And then when he was practicing and after endless rounds with doctors, it was he was diagnosed with focal dystonia, which oh, was yeah. a mm-hmm. neurological disorder. Right. Oh. And after 35 years of not being able to perform on the concert stage with his right hand, he, there was a, a discovery, a medical discovery, that they could use Botox injections, which somehow enabled the hand to function more fully, and he was mm. able to perform again. Mm. But during those 35 years, he first of all performed all the repertoire for the left hand alone. He did some conducting, and he taught at Peabody Conservatory. He said that he, because he couldn't demonstrate with his right hand, he really had to dig into the use of language to convey exactly mm. what he wanted. So I watched him teach a master class at Western Washington University one time, and he was glorious. But wow, if you could have been one of his students really? during yeah. that time, what talk about um, deepening the human understanding. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think it's sometimes through through those experiences of adversity yeah that amazing adversity can can be a good thing can help it can yes. be tough to deal with but it can produce mm-hmm. wonderful it, results yes. in yeah. other ways yeah. so interesting well okay name 10 must study pieces that every pianist should study or master well one of them is not my dog has fleas <laughs> but um i have two 
lists. And one is a list from each grade level of the piano repertoire, of the actual repertoire books um, that are published by the Royal Conservatory's publishing arm. Mm -hmm. And then secondly is just a personal choice list of my own. So I'm, uh, guessing chopsticks is not on this either. Even more importantly, <laughs> heart and soul, which my <laughs> own <laughs> piano happens to break out in hives if it is <laughs> introduced in the room. Yeah, yeah. So at level one in the repertoire, there's this beautiful piece, Song of the Dark Woods by mm. Eli Siegmeister. And its value is that um, even though it's a somewhat slow piece, it's a sad piece, and children gravitate to it. And they, I think it's a very good one for, for kids who like fast, jumpy, exciting pieces. Hmm. Here's my first experience playing sad. And as the Russians say, if sad is so beautiful, why be happy? And this, I think <laughs> at a very young age, oh, this, uh, this has possibilities. So it's, um, it has a beautiful ascending and descending, quite simple line for the right hand. It's in D minor. It's just, I think it's, it's a wonderful piece. Mm -hmm. And there are many gems in that book. It's hard to sort of narrow it down to one, but mm -hmm. this is just what I like. Um, at level two, there is in their list A pieces, which is the Baroque repertoire, mm -hmm. Baroque and classical, um, a piece called Impertinence, which is not about rudeness. I don't know how the name how the, the name was attached to the piece, but it's by George Frederick Handel. Mm -hmm. And it, I think, is very valuable for teaching, um, teaching the young pianist how to manipulate two contrapuntal lines okay. and it's it is and it's fun it it has um very very easily approached cadences they're very obvious so the phrase structure is quite clear um varied articulation mm -hmm. and if and, but it's fairly challenging at level two so i have i have a part b if that piece is too much then Minuet on Rondo by Ramo, which again has very touch in the two hands, and uh, again two two melodic lines to be projected. Um, moving on to level three, the study Arabesque by Bergmuller, which has got some syncopation in it, and it's moving up and down the keyboard, and it's just generally fun. And I always say when I give this piece to a student, I always say every piano student should learn this piece. So. It had to pop onto my list. <laughs> yeah. And in the repertoire book, the s third movement of Clementi's G major sonatina, mm. which has some technical difficulties, a lot of nuance, so I think it's a good one. Um, it, it's a good door to go through to, um, mm. to advance mm. several musical skills. Um, there's a lovely piece in level four called Dreamcatcher by a Canadian composer Anne Crosby Gaudet. Um, it has two very a very dreamy first section, again with some syncopated rhythm, and then a uh, highly contrasting B section, which is quite um, full with an arpeggiated bass. And it's and it's very well liked by students. Level five, Fantasia by George Philip Telemann. Fantasia in C major. Um, I love that one because it changes key so many times. So it's a great piece for teaching analysis and how to analyze and look at 
um, you know, the leading tones and tonic and dominant in the new keys and how it helps you get around. And mm -hmm. it's, it's fairly complicated. Um, at level six, there's a Scarlatti Sonata in A major. And I think everyone should experience the magic of Scarlatti mm -hmm. and its mm -hmm. sparkle. Um, ooh, level seven, Bach two-part invention in F major. I remember right. tearing my hair out, learning that at <laughs> age 13. <laughs> um, but again, it's a wonderful piece for teaching a student to analyze and memorize through analysis and key change. It uses, you know, basically the attendant keys box, um, favoring the attendant keys. Mm -hmm. And there's some drama in it too, so it's good and um, it's just and it's fun. It's really fun in your fingers. Level eight, um, Beethoven's Opus Forty Nine, Number Two, First Movement in G Major. Um, it just it has tons of contrast in it. It has moving from triplets back and forth between triplets mm -hmm. and duplets, which is is quite a feat if you're not going to if you're going to maintain a steady pulse. Um, fairly athletic in its character, so it's, yeah. it's a good piece for young people. Um, more Beethoven at level nine, opus 79, first movement. Mm. Um, so you've got sort of an early-ish or at least a middle Beethoven, but it feels like one of his early sonatas and then getting into the later ones. But again, just um, a lot of different musical characters and... Uh, Fine piece for demonstrating modulation between keys in the development yeah. section. It's got, it has had lots of things to recommend it. Level ten. Hmm. Uh, one of my favorite pieces in the whole world, the Gigue from the D major French Suite, mm -hmm. and that's a good technical romp. Or Mozart Fantasia in oh. C minor. I love Mozart, and somehow Beethoven and Bach have um, have overshadowed him in that list. So yeah. there's grade one to ten. Now. Ten pieces, and this is this is fairly loose. I haven't because everyone really does have preferences within within these areas. Mm -hmm. So a Bach suite or a Bach partita, mm -hmm. or a Bach toccata, um, an early Beethoven sonata, a late Beethoven sonata, and a movement of a Mozart concerto, a mm -hmm. Chopin etude, uh, a piece by Debussy, a piece by Ravel and a piece by Prokofiev. Oh, oh um, <laughs> there's a wonderful um, etude in C-sharp minor by Scriabin. It's mm. not very long, but it's very, very beautiful. Um, once again, if sad is so beautiful, Might I'd be, be happy. happy. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh. and something by Rachmaninoff. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I, obviously, that's, that's just my, my own personal top. And my pop hits, yeah, pop as hits. it were. <laughs> really, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. I listened to a recording of oh, what was it? A Bach piece the other day. I couldn't believe I'd never heard it. Orchestral is mm -hmm. what it was, and it the, the, my impression was, isn't it interesting how you hear Bach? And it's like every instrument in the orchestra could be thinking at that very moment, oh, the audience is certainly listening just to me because my part <laughs> is so interesting. Because they're all like, 
there's just stuff going on everywhere. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's great music. Yes, I always celebrate Bach's birthday. Do you? Yeah. Really? March 21st. He yeah. was 334 this year. Wow. That's right. a lot of candles. That's okay. a lot of candles. <laughs> 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 so uh, something that's really near to my near and dear to me is the, 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 the RCM certificate program, which I just think is just phenomenal. It uh, is. It, I, you know, it was just an, such an impression it's on a, me as a guitarist because we didn't really have anything like that that you could go to and it's you know and i looked and my goodness they're, they're doing all the instruments you yes. know frankly yeah. everything so it's a gift to teachers isn't it it is it's a huge it is huge gift. and i've had people ask me well you know did you did you do this program I, and i said well when i started it there was nothing like it you know and i'm not saying it's too late for me but you know I, i'm too busy now with, with my own mm-hmm, teaching and stuff mm-hmm. but um yeah just wonderful and you're an examiner Yes. Yes, and yeah. so obviously you're, you believe in it immensely. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It, um, it really, it has something for just about all students, which is not to say that there's that every student should do RCM. There's some students I think that music is is wonderful in their lives. They're just not quite the candidate to do the exam. Mm -hmm. But that being said, um, if you are a child who's just a, you know, of relatively average musical ability, this is absolutely going to make the most out of the ability that's there. Um, And bring a sense of pride, a sense of accomplishment, Mm -hmm. Certainly, a sense of um, or child may not recognize it, but as a teacher, comprehensive learning because the syllabus is so so really carefully worked out in terms of the ability of the the keys that are learned and the advancing towards more and more different keys Mm -hmm. and um, technical difficulty and training of the ear and training of reading and approach to music history yeah. approach to theory and the the books are beautifully organized they revise the syllabus every eight years for all the different mm-hmm. instruments they don't do it all on the, they don't do violin and tuba and piano all on the same year because that would be too much but everything is constantly revised there will be some pieces in the syllabus which are dropped for a little while, and then they're brought in later, many years mm-hmm. later. Um, they look currently for fresh new music by 21st century composers, and I think it's really important that new music is, is there for children, of music of their own generation, 20th and 21st century music. Um, they recognize fully that um, children have increasing demands on them in school and in sports and with AP classes in high school. Mm -hmm. And they have adjusted to these busy lives and they now allow, for example, the the students who are taking their grade 10 exam to do a split grade 10 so they can do the 
technical requirements in the sight reading mm. and the ear training and the studies at one point and then the repertoire almost more like a separate concert in a second examination so that the burden is not so great on them. Yeah. So they could do it six months later they or a year later? They could do it six months later or a year later, okay. precisely. Um, is there a limit on that? Yes, okay. there would. Mm -hmm. A year? I actually year. am not certain. I would have to okay. look that up because I haven't had somebody do the split exam, so mm -hmm. I don't have direct experience with it. The... Um, Oh, I guess, and the other thing is that they have reduced the number of keys that are required in the exams, realizing they'd rather a child or a student play their technical elements well rather than struggle to do all 12 major and minor scales. Mm. So for certain students, they realize the teacher knows that that student should should have facility in all the keys, and they are confident the teacher would direct the student to do that. But for the average student going in to take the exam, they're not going to be able to do all 12 keys yeah. and uh, be in select soccer and mm -hmm. take you know, AP environmental science, whatever it is mm -hmm. they're doing. So I think that, they, um, that they're very sensitive to the, the changing world that the RCM student lives in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They are extremely thorough in the training of the examiners and in maintaining standards with the examiners. Uh, they work very, very hard to have a positive experience for all the candidates in the exam. Um, this is, first of all, apparent in the, in the initial training, and then after being trained, you go through quite a long period of being mentored as an examiner. In other words, you go into an exam with a fully-fledged examiner, you write the report, you give the remark, they evaluate your work, and after you've done something like about 300 exams, then they finally let you loose. <laughs> but you do a lot of work before that. Wow. And then the chief examiners unexpectedly pop in on you when you're examining just to make sure that you you are putting the right face mm -hmm. yeah. on the experience. Uh, there are webinars that are required and professional development workshops that are required each year. So they keep a very close eye on maintaining high standards. And certainly, there I, I think there's camaraderie and a pride in being an examiner. Mm -hmm. um, and I really value my colleagues in that group mm -hmm. of people yeah and we've all we've i mean experiences we've had here with the examiners and the students have had have all, mm -hmm. always been just fabulous mm -hmm. really really mm -hmm. great yeah yes so it's um it is it is an enormous privilege to be associated mm -hmm. with it and has been i would say one one of the stars of of my own professional development mm -hmm. has been that particular association yeah nice yeah, all the examiners seem to Try and do as much as they can to calm the students' nerves. Mm -hmm. This is where they're waiting out. They're waiting in the lobby, and especially if it's their first exam. And I'm sure they have visions of these horrible people that are <laughs> that they're gonna go. <laughs> I don't know what they're gonna <laughs> watch. Yeah. What they're doing, and 
smack their wrists with rulers. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, so. I know. It's yeah. a, ni- a nice change from the yeah. olden days, although I'm sure that the RCM examiners were nice 75 years ago, too. <laughs> 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 but you were, um, th- that brings us, you were talking about children being very nervous for their first exam. Mm-hmm. And that sort of begs the question about what parents can do to help children yeah. prepare for these exams. Uh, which takes me back even one step further to parents wanting, parents who will call, inquire about piano lessons, and they will say, I just want it to be fun for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's you have to make sure that parents understand that they're not equating fun with lack of effort. And I think that that's, that's often the case. And there's absolutely fun. There is the sheer physical joy of making music you don't get that right away you have to you know prompt it and um sort of plump up the students sometimes when it's a little hard so that they they get where they want to be but it does involve rolling up your sleeves and making an effort and i think we alluded to that before um that's that is one of the gifts of music lessons is that you learn to extend yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it takes a supportive parent to help children get ready for the exams because they have to ensure that the child's schedule or the student's schedule is not ridiculously crowded, that you're timing it at the right time of year. Often I'll have the students who are taking higher level exams schedule their exam for the summertime, which is one of the benefits of the program, is that there's an August session, mm-hmm. so you can take the exam when you are not doing uh, yeah. a million four hours of <laughs> homework at <laughs> yeah. a right. night for school, that right. sort of thing. Uh, but it also takes in c- it, it helping a, the child psychologically get ready for this, and that they it's natural that a child is going to be apprehensive, what if I make a mistake? And you have to say, well, you know, we're getting ready in stages and we'll have lots of experience practicing yeah. doing the exam and I think some dry runs. But it it is important that the parents realize there are phenomenal gains from the system and certainly parents of students that have gone through the program with me will say, I wish before I had known this existed because mm-hmm. there is such benefit in it, which indeed there is. Mm-hmm. But it also takes a parent who's willing to listen to I don't want to do this right. <laughs> sometimes and uh-huh. encourage them. I mean, it's, there is a very important triangle between the teacher and the parent and the student. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that that's, in fact, there is a triangle between a four, but it's a square, the parent, RCM, the teacher, and the student. Yeah. And... Uh, you, I think it takes a parent who's willing to go the extra mile in terms of, of emotional support, not that, that is that horrible, yeah. to deal with. But there just has to be sort of a calm, reassuring attitude. And, of, you know, of course, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for parents to, <clears throat> excuse me, to realize that you're not just doing music lessons for fun. I, no. I mean, it is fun. But, I mean, I think it's fun. Yes. Of course I do. But 
you know, that it, I, I think it's, it should be viewed as a, an integral part of their education overall. Yes, yeah, I think the totally. Greeks had it right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, I do too. Uh-huh. It, right. Yeah. It belongs, it is part of education. I had that conversation with my wife last night. Actually, was this, you know, it's, I, I, I do get tired of just, well, you know, we're going to stop music lessons because they're not having fun or whatever. And, it's, and yeah. I'm going, and I even had one parent to tell on somebody, I won't use the name, but just to say, well, he doesn't like to do it because he doesn't like things he has to work at. And I said, what? You know, well, I, I said what to myself. I didn't say mm-hmm. it out loud. Yeah. I, I yeah. was sort of tempted. But, you know, it's an integral part of their development. Yes. Of, a, of an adult, too, for that matter. Yes. There's still yeah. hope for adults. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, there, I mean, I've, um, I've had some very uplifting experiences as an examiner. Some of them have been with adults who are taking their first exam. And it's, you realize how much they have, they are putting themselves on the line. They're making mm-hmm. themselves really very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I will always say, I, I respect you so much for taking this step. Oh, really? And yeah. I know you were feeling the rewards. Mm-hmm. Um, another time there was, there are certain special need candidates. Mm-hmm. And the one that stands out the most in my memory was a little girl who was nine years old, and she had very limited sight. She had some awareness of lightness and dark, but that was about it. In her case, I was alerted ahead of time because she was going to not do sight reading, but she was going to double up on ear tests, Hmm. which we did, and which she absolutely loved doing. She played absolutely beautifully. Her... They say that when you lose a sense, the other senses make up and are heightened. And certainly her ear Hmm. had, uh, was, was taking any, picking up any slack that vision wasn't providing. It was just wonderful. And she, she loved her pieces. She loved doing the ear test. There was no trouble with her scales or her technique. And when she was done, I opened the door for her to leave the examining room, and she just skipped down the hall to see her mother. And it was, <laughs> it was just such a wonderful moment of joy, and it was so yeah. inspiring to see how important music was in that child's life yeah. and, and what beauty she brought to other people's lives. Oh, yeah. And um, it, it is amazing. Sometimes as an examiner, you just sit back and... You are alone in a room with mm-hmm. a young person, mm-hmm. and they have extraordinary talent, and you are the the person who's fortunate to be their audience at mm-hmm. that time. And yeah. it's just mm-hmm. well, there's there's so much uh, enlightenment when a student finally starts getting it. Mm-hmm. You know? That's and right. And it, it and it brings it brings so much you know in. To, to me, like it's it's fantastic, but it, it also does so much for them. You know, you can see it. Mm-hmm. I think there has been there's been a lot of talk about uh, STEM yes. education, yes, which just completely leaves the A out. To be STEAM, I need, need yes. to be STEAM. I just there's it, it's just a constant conversation that I hear about STEM, 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 and I'm like. Everybody needs to see like what music or art or anything does for a young mind mm-hmm. or anybody's mind really, mm-hmm. but specifically mm-hmm. like 
when a young person has that, it's just it's just a massively positive thing in their life. And I think Absolutely. it's important. It's, it's something that's not getting yeah. talked about enough. And it's something that doesn't leave them. I mean, it is exactly. a friend for them for the rest right. of their yeah. lives. Well, talking about this, you know, when a young person gets it, when they finally mm -hmm. take off, um, I think that's another thing to be aware of in teaching because you try to do the right thing and sometimes the right the right teaching habits include just being patient because you you are providing um, technical support for their development at the instrument and you're helping them read you're doing you're putting them in a very rich soup of mm -hmm. of material mm -hmm. and sometimes you just have to wait and you know it'll come mother nature will come along with her magic wand ah now is the moment <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah absolutely and yeah. that's one and you and that's uh that's a very special moment as a teacher because you've wanted that child to have greater ease but mm -hmm. uh it's just not the right time and you mm -hmm. like to think that you've prepared the ground and yeah. And I, I, and I'm confident that 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 goes on, but it's just so wonderful when all of a sudden the sun and the moon and the stars line up in their little bodies, and they they have always loved musical sounds. Now they can make a whole lot more of them, so yep. much more easily, and it's yep. just oh, it's so gratifying. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. it's uh, I've told a lot of my students, um, <laughs> you know, you you only have to learn a little bit of music, and you will never listen to music the same way again. Mm -hmm. you, will, you, will, you will hear music differently for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. you know? it's, it's a great experience, you know, being able to listen to something and you just have a different appreciation for it. And it, it's, it, it just makes a big difference, I think. You know, like I, when I was a kid, because I didn't, I didn't play an instrument until I was, well, I, I played clarinet very poorly for a year mm -hmm. and then I played percussion and then I didn't really I didn't play guitar until I was 14 and I used to listen to like the Beatles and mm -hmm. all this stuff and then after I started playing guitar I remember listening to the Beatles again and I was just like oh my gosh what is this listen to all this stuff happening and you so it's it's just it's just a way to to expand mind the way you process music the way it 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 hits you emotionally, and it every mm -hmm. it just changes everything about. And it turns into an old friend. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, and it, I mean, it's a, it. I love it when a child will come and say, "I just go to the piano now when I'm feeling upset because it'll make me feel better." And yes. that's that's powerful yeah. stuff. I played in a master class years ago for Oscar Geely, who's mm -hmm. you know, famous classical guitarist, has been for years, and. And I started playing a piece, and he said right away, "Oh, there's an old friend oh, <laughs> talking about the piece of music." <laughs> that's great, you know. And uh, it was, it was, uh, and it really stuck with me. Obviously, so yeah, it is there. I remember um, quite a while ago, my father was very ill, and I went, "Oh, I wonder if this is when I'm going to lose my dad," and and how important it was for me to have the piano at that time. Mm. Mm -hmm. to practice yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely but it's all i mean it's uh, there are th that kind of awareness of getting to a really 
special spot in your own mind. And I think it's a little bit unique for each one of us. Yeah. There are two paths. One is that it's it's a friend for you, and a, and a, I think a source of constant um, exploration and discovery, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. personal discovery. But then there's also the joy of communicating mm -hmm. with other people and yeah. being able to share what you have, you yourself have found about this piece of music and which you love so much, and to be able to mm. communicate that to other people, to share it with other people. Yeah, it's. Um, Aren't we lucky we do what we do? We are. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I've said yeah. that a million times. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get up every, at least I do, I get up every morning. I just can't wait to get up and go practice. I know that sounds kind of mm -hmm. weird, but, no, you know, I just, no. I just love, to, love yeah. to do that. Mm -hmm. no, I just love to get better. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good way to approach life. Yes, it is, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Claire, thank you so much for, yeah, for oh, joining us. It was my great. pleasure. Again, yes. thank you so much for inviting me here today. Yeah. yeah and there's great. the latte. Yeah. Yes. The latte. <laughs> there's still some coffee. Good. <laughs> well, another big thank you to Claire Marshall for taking her time to come in. Uh, she did get, just so everyone knows, she got a, what did she get? She got a latte provided by Washington Academy of Music. So, yes. She actually, uh, that alone made it worth her time and effort. Free coffee is the best coffee. Is the best coffee. I have a free coffee that I'm drinking right now, and I will attest that it is the best. So, thanks again to Claire for coming out. Yeah, thanks, Claire. We hope you enjoyed it. 